Please take God's Word and open to the book of Acts, the first chapter. And today we're beginning a new series of messages that are found in the book of Acts. And the title of this series is, It's Your Move. Now, if you listen closely and pay attention, you will understand that just based upon the title, Acts, that Christianity is about more than learning. Christianity is about movement. And the early church became a force for good and righteousness in this world because the church got moving. And if the church of God in Jesus Christ today in the 21st century is going to have that same kind of impact on our world, we've got to get moving. The book of Acts gives us a lot of information about how the church came into being and how Christianity spread rapidly throughout most of the known world. And this morning's message comes from Acts chapter 1, and we're going to begin the reading at chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to read through the 8th verse this morning. Please follow along with me in the Scriptures as we read God's Word says this. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day He was taken up after He had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles He had chosen. After He had suffered, He also presented Himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of... 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord... Are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Let us pray. Lord, give us fresh eyes and open hearts to hear what you would say to each of us this morning. Only God could know where every one of us is in our walk all of our needs, our brokenness. And so, Father, now if we could just empty all that and lay it at your feet and leave it there, we will find that you will do your work in us in a mighty way that far exceeds anything we expected to happen. It's our hope and it's our desire because Jesus is real and alive. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. The author of the book of Acts is Luke. Luke 
was a first century physician. And being a physician, I'm not sure how anyone could read his writing. But he wrote a lot. He had a whole lot of things to say about Jesus Christ. And in addition to the book of Acts, Luke also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And together they form a two-volume set. Luke's Gospel is volume one. It covers the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And the book of Acts focuses on the ascension of Jesus into heaven, the empowerment of His disciples, and how these disciples, (laughs) these misfits, filled with the Holy Spirit, took the gospel to the ends of the earth. From Luke chapter 1... And also from Acts chapter 1, we learn that these two books were written to a man by the name of Theophilus. Evidently, Theophilus had commissioned Luke, and because Theophilus was a man of influence in his society, perhaps an official of some time, maybe even an elected official of some time, or some type of influential wealthy man, he asked Luke to give an account of the life of Jesus. And so Luke undertook this. And in the Gospel of Luke, he said, I want to tell you about everything that Jesus did up until the point that He ascended into heaven. And I want to tell you then, I want to tell you in the second book, I want to tell you about all those things that Christ accomplished through His disciples and all the ways that the Gospel of Jesus is spreading throughout the Roman Empire. Now the book of Acts is what we call a bridge book. We call it a bridge book because what you have is you go from the life of Jesus to a very established church. And if we don't have the book of Acts, we have no clue as to how all these churches got started. We would just simply go from the Gospels all the way into a very established church thriving in this New Testament world. And we wouldn't know how any of those churches were established. So the book of Acts plays a a valuable role in our life and understanding of how God works in the lives of His people. Now this morning, the focus of the message, as you can tell from these opening words of Luke, it tells us that as believers of Jesus Christ, you and I have a story to tell. So our message this morning is about telling your story. That story is a story about grace. It's a story about forgiveness. It's a story about fresh starts. It's a story about how Jesus died for sin so you and I would not have to die in sin. The Bible tells us that this is a story about finding peace and purpose in a lost and broken and selfish world. Friends, the church of the 21st century needs to get moving. And the place to begin is by telling your story. I want you to notice with me this morning that telling your story depends upon an explosion of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Acts chapter 1 verse 5, the risen Christ told His followers that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
Then in Acts 1.8, he emphasized the importance of the Holy Spirit again. He said to them, you'll receive power, look at it, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. John the Baptist was the forerunner to Jesus. He prepared the hearts of people to be repentant toward God and to be open to receiving God's answer for our sin in Jesus the Messiah. John drew large crowds. People would come out. They would listen to his preaching. He was a rather odd-looking fellow, and he had a very strong message, but it was powerful. It was effective. It was anointed by God. But John feared that people were paying more attention to him than they were to the one whom he represented. And so John answered the crowd. He said to them, I baptize you with water. But one is coming who is more powerful than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now we will notice in Scripture that oftentimes the Holy Spirit and fire are associated with one another. Fire is a blaze. Fire burns. Fire consumes. Fire ignites what it touches. I thought about that. And I had to ask myself, when is the last time I or anyone who is around me would describe my Christian life as fire? Prior to his crucifixion, Jesus told his disciples in John 14, 16, and 17, he said, I'm going to ask the Father and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and he will be in you. You'll receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, me. Albert Einstein was the inventor of dynamite. He didn't have a name for his creation, so he turned to a Greek scholar and he asked him, can you tell me what is the word in Greek for explosive power? The Greek scholar told him the Greek word is dunamis. And it is from that Greek word that we get our English word dynamite. Now I want you to look back with me. And I want you to notice that the Holy Spirit is the explosive power of God in our lives. He's in us. He's with us. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. As followers of Jesus and members of His body, we have been given the explosive power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill the assignment that God has given to each of us. The Holy Spirit helps me, it helps you deal with the adversity that comes in our lives. It helps us to be able to experience joy in the midst of pain, to experience comfort in the midst of loss, to experience peace and purpose in the midst of the chaos that was all around us. The Holy Spirit of God enables us to meet every demand, every problem, every emergency, in every circumstance. That's the Holy Spirit. Now look back at verse 4. Jesus told His followers to do what? 
wait here in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit that I will send to be with you and in you. Jesus was not doing an advanced American Express commercial when He says, don't live life without it. Early in his ministry, Crawford Loritz was a pastor in Detroit, Michigan. He and his wife had a toddler, a little girl, who had never seen snow. So Loritz had in his mind that he would be the first to introduce her to snow, and he was in the middle of changing her into some heavy outdoor clothing when he got a call from his wife. So he left her for a brief moment, went into the other room to speak with his wife, came back, the door was slightly ajar. He went over to close the front door, and when he looked, there was his toddler out playing in the snow wearing nothing but her birthday suit. (laughs) Jesus wanted his followers to be properly dressed. Don't leave this city without the Holy Spirit. Wait for the Holy Spirit that will come to you. The Holy Spirit is the indispensable, explosive power of God given by God to us who believe so that we are fully dressed for telling others about Jesus. Telling your story depends upon an explosion of the Holy Spirit in your life. But secondly, I want you to notice with me, telling your story demands concentration on your primary assignment. Immediately before Jesus ascended into heaven, the disciples eagerly asked the resurrected Savior his intentions for Israel. They've been looking for centuries. They've been looking for it for centuries now for the coming of the Messiah, which they have been told will sit on David's throne. He will rule. He will reign. Finally, our day of victory, our time of deliverance has come. He's going to do away with all the injustices of the Roman Empire and all these other rulers that are so wicked and so horrible. So they ask him in verse 6, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to be restoring the kingdom to Israel. And did you notice here that Jesus never answers their query? Instead, what does he do? He says, it's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. And then he followed it and he said, but here's what I want you to know. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you. And I'm assigning you the responsibility to be my witnesses. If you want to pack out a building, just announce that you're going to be preaching on the end times. Friends, Jesus is coming again. The full gospel of Jesus is that he had a virgin birth, he lived a sinless life, he died a sacrificial death, he experienced a bodily resurrection, 
And He will visibly return to this earth. Now there are people who focus on Jesus' visible return and they have charts and they have explanations and they have Bible verses to support all their things. And we love to study about that and that's important for us to do because it, it keeps us standing on our tiptoes looking forward to Jesus on the horizon coming. The Bible tells us over and over again, watch, you don't know the time of His coming. He's coming in an hour you don't know about. Be ready, Jesus is coming again. We love to talk about that. We love to talk about the end times. And all of that is important. But until He returns, we have one assignment. One assignment. That is to be His witnesses. Now I want you to notice that when Jesus made this statement You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria. On the one hand, this is a prophecy that has been fulfilled. Because that is exactly what happens. It's chronicled in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1 through 7, we see the gospel spreading throughout the city of Jerusalem. That's going to be the focus of our series here. It's your move series. Then you turn to chapter 8 and chapter 12, and what do you find? You find the gospel spreading beyond Jerusalem to Samaria and to Judea. Then from chapter 13 in the book of Acts through the end of the book of Acts, you find the gospel spreading to the ends of the earth, as Jesus' disciples go everywhere telling their story about what Jesus has done for them, about who Jesus is. Jesus foretold it. It's a prophecy. And it came true. But for us this morning, this is a command to be obeyed. It's a prophecy fulfilled, yes. But more than that, it's a command to be obeyed. Jesus commissioned us to be His witnesses. Now I want to give you a very technical definition of what a witness is. A witness is someone who got a good dose of Jesus and never got over it. That's a witness. You know what a witness does. A witness in a courtroom tells what they know. You don't tell what somebody else knows. You tell what you know. And that makes you an authority on the subject. Friends, what I'm trying to get across to us this morning, at least what the Word is saying to me, is you don't need 40 weeks of training to be a witness. You just need a story. It's your story. You can't mess it up. Nobody else can dispute it. It's your story about what Jesus has done for you. My story is... 
I was on the highway to hell. I was living a very self-centered life. I had experienced some very modest achievements. I had an active social life. I was receiving a quality education. Now, don't blame those people who taught me, but I mean, you get what I mean? It was some opportunities that were placed before me that many people in the world do not have access to that kind of education. And yet, I did not know a person who could have been more miserable on the inside than I was. Despite achievements and some successes, an active social life, a fantastic opportunity to get a great education, I was empty on the inside. You could not have found a person more confused than I was. You couldn't tell it on the outside because I just was trying to keep up with the crowd. And as long as I could keep up with the crowd, I, I seemed to blend in and be just like everybody else. Everybody else seemed to be just like me, at least the people that I was hanging around. But it hit me like a ton of bricks when I looked into the mirror and I realized that I didn't like the person that I looked at. I realized that this world and all these things that I have, which are supposed to make you happy, and yet here am I, I am the most miserable And it knocked me to my knees. I bowed down a broken man. And I told Jesus about all the ways that I had left him out of my life. And how I didn't want my sin anymore. And I stayed on my knees for a very long time and recounted all the ways that I had sinned and left God out of my life. And I was down there for a while. I knelt down a broken man. I stood up a new man. For the first time in my life, I felt guilt-free. For the first time in my life, I had peace of mind and purpose. I had direction. I knew exactly what my life was about. I was ready to end it all, but I found it all. And I found it all in Jesus and what He did for me, He can do for you. If you'll just admit to Him, Jesus, I need you. I'm sorry for my sin. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me my sin. And Jesus, I commit my life to follow you. Believe that Jesus died, was buried, raised from the dead. Confess Him with your mouth. Believe in your heart and you too will be saved. Now that's my story. If you know Jesus, you have a story.
And your story is not like my story. And maybe you're thinking to yourself this morning, well, Pastor, I don't know, you're a preacher. But I'm too shy to tell my story to someone. I mean, talking to other people, that's, that's just not my thing. I'm not good at that sort of thing. And I mean, what if they don't like what I share? What if they laugh at me? I want you to look at verse 8 again, would you? Verse 8 says what? It says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit enables us to be Christ's witnesses and, and to leave the results to God. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but He's given us a, a spirit of power, of love, and of sound judgment. If you understand correctly what the Bible is saying, what it's telling us is, we do the sharing, God does the saving. We're not responsible for the results. We're just responsible for delivering the mail. And God will take care of the results. You and I shouldn't apologize for walking up to somebody and telling our story to them about what Jesus has done for us any more than we would apologize for running up to somebody and saying, Let me tell you, you just won a million dollars. I mean, think about it. The God of the universe loves us. He offers us forgiveness and peace and purpose and happiness that the world can't provide. I mean, this world, if it tells us anything, it's that there's got to be more than this. And Jesus is what is more than all of this. We get all worked up. We get all worried about things. We, we try for this and we try for that. And we get there and it's just not enough. We want more. We want more. And you know what the more is? It is Jesus. That's what you want. Because God created every one of us for a relationship with Christ. Our problem is His witness is we get telling our story confused with conversion. We don't save people. God does that. But He does it through our witness. I want to give you something that I'll just really make you happy. I don't care what age you are or what your story is. I just want to assure you of one thing. You don't have to have a dramatic story to be a witness for Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit will take your story will tailor it, will tenderize it, and open up the heart of somebody who needs to hear your story. But here's the ugly reality this morning. We have many people in this room who have a story to tell, but you're not telling it, and I want to tell you why you're not telling it.
Because if you're living in the flesh, you won't want to tell your story. If you're living and wrapped up in the things of the world and the calendar and Facebook and Instagram and friends and all these things seem to be your focus and your direction and this seems to be the focal point of your life, you're not going to feel like talking about Jesus. You're going to be talking about other stuff. The answer for you and me this morning in telling our story is we need to submit to Jesus. And I want to end with something very positive. And that is that telling your story defeats stagnation in your spiritual life. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the risen Christ through his messenger speaks to those who are in seven churches in Asia Minor. These are real churches, real pastors. And Jesus gives his his evaluation of these seven churches, one by one. Here's what you're doing good. Here's what's not going on that's so good. Here's what you can do to change things. Change or else. And that's the message to every one of these seven churches. One of those churches was in the city of Sardis. And to the church in Sardis, Jesus said this to them. Now, this is to a church. I know your works. Revelation 3.1. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Has your walk with Jesus become monotonous? Is it dull? Feel like it's stagnant, you're stuck, you're not growing? Is Bible study boring? Is worship grown cold? Let me share something with you. God pours more of himself into us when we are busy doing the things he created us to do. Did you know that when the gospel came to you, it was already headed somewhere else? Your life and my life and the gospel that came to us is not something that we hoard. It's something that we pass on. It's already moving in another direction. In the Middle East, and I'm looking forward to this, this March, I'm going to be going to Israel for the first time. My wife's been, I think, more than once, at least once. But we're going to get to go together. I'm looking forward to it. But there are two bodies of water there in the Middle East. The Sea of Galilee, it's alive with vegetation. It's teeming with fish. But nearby, 
the Dead Sea is stagnant. Nothing grows there. You know the difference between those two bodies of water? The Dead Sea has no outlet. Water comes into it, but nothing escapes from it. The water is stagnant. Therefore, things die in that water. They can't survive. But the Sea of Galilee, on its southern shore, empties into the Jordan River. Water comes in, flows into it, and flows out of it. And because of it, it's alive with vegetation. It's alive with fish. It's teeming. That's a great illustration for us, isn't it? Our stories were never intended to be kept to ourselves. When we keep our story to ourselves, our walk with Christ becomes dull, monotonous, stagnant. But when we share our story, when we tell our stories, everything in our lives will pick up. It'll come alive. Worship will come thrilling and exhilarating. Bible study, the words will begin to jump off the page at us and they'll be fresh and they'll be new to us. Christian fellowship will become sweeter. Even our giving will find purpose and meaning and joy in giving our money. One of the chief causes of spiritual stagnation is unconfessed sin. God wants full control of my life. And one of the questions that he sent me here to share with you this morning is a question that's been on my mind all week. Are you all in? I mean, are, are you all in? Are you a fan of Jesus or a follower of Jesus? Fans cheer. Followers get into the game. Because you were created and called to be a follower, not a fan. What's your story? If you don't have a story about how Jesus has changed your life, I want to help you get one. And Andy and our staff and others are going to be here at the front. Our deacons are going to be down here at the front. In just a few moments, we're going to stand and we're going to sing, and this will be a time of response. And this is your opportunity to get a story. And you know, I didn't have to say these words to you, but when I was talking and describing my life before Jesus and my life after Jesus, you know in your heart of hearts whether or not God is speaking to you and trying to get your attention and telling you there is an answer 
And boy, if Jesus is the answer for you, I wouldn't let anything stop me from coming to Jesus. This morning, if you leave this place without a story, you will have no one to blame but yourself. And listen to me, God will hold you accountable for it. He'll hold you accountable for it because you had an opportunity, but you said no. This is your opportunity. And some of you, God is speaking to you about baptism. You know, there I don't know, maybe many reasons, but I thought of three reasons why people don't get baptized. One is ignorance. You, you came to Jesus, you prayed a prayer, you were really saved, but nobody told you that baptism was important. Do you know baptism is the first sign of obedience to Jesus? And that Jesus, He doesn't ask us to be baptized, He commands us to be baptized. Not to be saved, but to give a testimony to other people of what Jesus has done for us. Some people are not baptized because they're just ignorant. They didn't know they were supposed to do it. Now you know. Sometimes people are not baptized because of indifference. Well, I'm saved. I believe in Jesus. It's really not that important. Really? That's not what the Bible says. Well, I meant to get around to it, but I just hadn't gotten around to it. Or maybe you're like many people, some in this room here this morning, that your baptism is on the wrong side of your salvation. Now, don't feel bad about that. A lot of people have that testimony. Maybe you were a child and in vacation Bible school, you made a decision to accept Jesus. But you didn't really understand what you were committing to. You were committing as a child to be a follower of Jesus, not just a believer in Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. When I was 16, I got a driver's license. I didn't know everything about driving, but somebody at the Department of Public Safety felt like I'd done enough to get a driver's license. You don't have to know everything about following Jesus to be saved. And so as a child, you can believe in Jesus, but I also know this to be true. You can walk down an aisle and be baptized and then later realize you really didn't understand what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And later on, your testimony is, I made a public profession of faith, I talked with a minister, I prayed a prayer, I was baptized. But I wasn't really a follower of Jesus. Now, based upon the way my life is, and the way my life is gone, I know now for sure I'm a follower of Jesus and you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, I want to get my baptism on the right side of my salvation. You see, baptism doesn't save us. Baptism is something you do after you're saved. There's people in here this morning who need to come to Andy and say, Andy, put me on the list. This is my time. All I needed was just an invitation, a reminder I've been thinking about. I can't get it off my mind, actually. And I just want to put it to bed and be sure about it. There's a third reason why people aren't baptized. It's disobedience. 
You know you're supposed to do it. But you've just dug your heels in and said, I'm not going to do it. I was raised in this church or that church. I sprinkled as a child. I'm good to go. Listen, you won't feel right in your walk with Christ until you obey Him and what He has told you to do. And baptism is the first step of obedience. And I think for all of us this morning, as we come to this time in the message, I think all of us would understand that one of the reasons why we aren't telling our story is because we have unconfessed sin in our lives. Now you have a story to tell. What's your story? I want us just to bow our heads in just a moment in quietness and solitude. I want to kind of walk you through something and and then you in your own mind, you in your own mind just follow these directions to the best of your ability. Right now, just review your story. You heard me tell my story. Go ahead right now as you review it and just kind of reverse, uh, uh, rehearse it in your mind as you think about it. And don't think about somebody that will listen to it. Just think about you and Jesus and what your life was like before Jesus and what your life is like after Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do something with me right now. I want you to ask God to give you an opportunity to tell someone your story this week. A neighbor, a family member, a classmate. Ask Him to give you an opportunity And then do it. You came here without a story for Jesus, maybe. But you're going to leave here with a story. You came here in need of following Jesus in baptism. You've been putting it off for whatever reason. You're going to make that right. You've rehearsed your story, you know your story, and God's going to give you an opportunity to share that story. In all of those decisions, I leave you with these words.
It's your move. It's your move. What is your move today?